All right, so we are going to go ahead and get started. If you guys have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 3. And so this week, we are finally at the end of our study on the seven churches. Um, we're not even close to halfway done with Revelation, but we're at the end of the study of the seven churches. And so here we're coming to the final church, which is the church in Laodicea. Um, a quick reminder that we talked about this the first week, but um, the historicist view, this is not relevant to tonight, but it is, I do want to mention it because I said that I would. Um, the historicist view of Revelation says that this is the current age of the church that we're living in. Um, and I think that as we get into it, we'll all be able to see why that is the case. Um, but that being said, we're strictly going to be approaching this just as what the Bible says, um, how we can apply it to our lives, how it applied to them back then. Just We're going to be very simple tonight in that aspect. And the main thing that we learned from the church in Laodicea is um, the oxymoron that is a lukewarm Christian. That's the main thing they're going to be talking about tonight. It's just this, this whole idea of this church that Jesus describes very clearly as lukewarm. Um, so... In Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14, it says, And to the angel in the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your words, you are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and shame and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love. I repute, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So just a little bit about the city of Laodicea. This is a city that was hit by an earthquake, a huge earthquake in 60 AD. And the Roman Empire said, hey, we'll send people to help you. We'll send you resources. And they said, no, we're good. We don't need any of that. They were a city that was so proud of themselves and so rich that they said, Hey, we don't need any help. We got this on our own. We'll figure it out. We're not poor. We don't need a handout. We'll figure it out. Much like the church of Sardis, this was a city whose attitude had bled into the church. So last week we talked about the church in Sardis and how this is a city that had been conquered multiple times because people either fell asleep or because they just weren't paying attention. And that was the same condition that the church found itself in, that the church was dying. And it was because it had let in the attacks of Satan without paying attention to its boundaries or to its borders. So here in Laodicea, it's the same thing. They've become so proud of themselves and so puffed up in all their riches and the things that they have in their possessions that they were like, hey, we're good. We're, we don't need any help. We, we lack nothing. The truth is they were lacking the very thing that they needed the most in the world. And that's exactly what we're going to get into tonight. So starting off here in these first few verses, we see Jesus introduced in a certain way, okay? In every single letter that we've talked about so far, we see how Jesus is introduced. We see him being described in one of the ways that he was described in chapter one. Well, here specifically, we see Jesus introduced as the faithful and true witness. Essentially, this is 
This is meant to show us the truthfulness of Christ and his relationship with the Father. Like he is the witness to the Father, and he is fully truthful and fully like we can trust every single word that he says. Everything he does is trustworthy. We can put our faith in him because he will always be faithful to us. This also shows us the stark contrast between Christ and the church that he's talking to here. Like this is him saying, Hey, I am the faithful and true one. I have never left the Father's side and I will never leave you, but you have not known me. He's also introduced here as the beginning of God's creation. And let's make something very, very clear that Jesus was not created by God the Father. Um, I even put that as your first blank tonight. Jesus was not created by God the Father. This is important because a lot of people have read this passage and have gotten to wrong conclusions from it. This is an, a very ancient heresy known as Arianism. A-R-I-A-N-I-S-M. Arianism. And it's something that, based on things that I've seen and read recently, is once again growing and becoming very, very popular, especially here in our country. Um, so what this is saying, this isn't saying that Jesus was created by God, but what this is saying is that Jesus was there at the beginning and he ushered in all of creation. It talks about this in John chapter one, where it talks about he was there in the beginning and the word was life. And the, it goes into this whole idea of everything being created through him and for him. That's exactly what he's saying here. And of course he says the word amen here. And this is, this is what we use to end our prayers typically. So what he's saying, he's essentially another way of him saying that he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. He's like, I am over all things. This is him showing that he sovereignly rules over all things. Christ sovereignly rules over all things and rightly so. He deserves to rule over all things because he helped create all things. And he deserves to rule over all things because he's been seated at the right hand of God after coming to earth and being born of a virgin and living a sinless life and dying on the cross and then resurrecting again from the grave and ascending into heaven. Like He has earned his spot in more ways than one. All of this puts more weight into his first words to them when he is speaking to the Laodiceans in this letter. And he says, I know your works. We talked about this a little bit last week, but the truth is, is that Jesus knows our hearts. He knows the hearts of those in Laodicea who consider themselves Christians. He knows no matter what front we put on, no matter what, who we're comparing ourselves to, he knows what's actually in our hearts, what we believe, what's happening there, and, what, and whatever kind of front we put on, he sees right through it. See, the so-called Christians who are living in Laodicea, they want people to see them as Christians. They continue to go through the motions. They, they're doing all the things right and checking all the right boxes so that they can be seen as holy by the people around them. And I know a lot of you are probably thinking of people in your life that you know who are like this. But what we need to see here is that Jesus, they don't see anything wrong with what they're doing, but Jesus does. They think they're boasting about being rich and being powerful and having possessions and all of this stuff. And Jesus looks at them and says, I know better, I know you. No amount of church attendance can fool Jesus into believing that someone is saved if they are not. And Jesus, he calls them lukewarm here. He says, hey, you guys aren't hot or cold. In fact, he even says here, he's like, he's like, I wish that you were one or the other. He says, I wish that you were one or the other. I wish that you were hot or cold and that you weren't just lukewarm, that you weren't just here where you are now. He's, he's trying to show them, like, guys, there is no middle ground here. Like, he is 
they, he's either their Lord and Savior and they're embracing him as such, or they've rejected him and they're living for themselves. And he's trying to show them like, hey, there is no lukewarm. There is no middle ground here. So, And he even says like, hey, I will spit you out of my mouth because you are lukewarm and because this is how you taste. And I'm sure you guys have heard this example before and like heard this passage and heard someone talk about like coffee. And, you know, coffee, it's not good if it's if it's lukewarm. But I mean, it's such a good example because I know like I, I can't handle coffee if it's not hot or iced. Like if it's just lukewarm, it's disgusting. And I think most of us would agree with that. That's exactly what he's trying to get at. He's like, this, this can't be in the middle. You're either one or the other. You can't be both. The thing is, is that that's... Jesus sees this church and he sees right through the facade they put up. He sees right through the guard. He sees right through everything that they're trying to portray to the Christians around them and to the city around them. And he's like, guys, I see you. I know your works. I see the things that you're doing, the way that you act, the person that you are in your heart. I know what's happening here. You can't hide from me. And I know a lot of times it's easy for us to see Christians around us like this, but we should also understand that there are a lot of churches like this too. And one of the one of the sad things about this is, is that this has become so much more prevalent now. Like it's probably easier for us to go look at churches in town and find churches that are lukewarm than churches that are either on fire for the gospel or completely are completely ab- abandoned God. And so that's why this letter is so much more relevant to us now than it ever was before. And so in verse 17, he kind of continues with this indictment of the church. You know, he's He's getting into this um, in Revelation chapter 3. In um, verse 17, he continues in this. And so he said all this. He's talked about, about them being lukewarm. He's talked about them being not hot or cold. He's talked about how he's going to spit them out of his mouth. And then he says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not even realizing. Not even realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And so this is a, He's, this is a crazy indictment that he's bringing on them. The church had reached a place where they felt like, hey, if, if we're physically taken care of, if we have our needs met, if we're rich, if we have all the things that we need, then we don't, we don't need anything else. We don't need other people to come in and take care of us. Like, we're good on our own. And they had gotten to this place where, despite all of this in their lives, they were so blind to the thing that they needed most. Because despite the money and the influence they had, they were missing the Laodiceans were missing the one thing that mattered the most, and that's the gospel. See, all the money in the world could not buy them a spot in heaven. All the money in the world couldn't secure salvation for them and couldn't do the one thing that Jesus was promising to them. See, the church in Laodicea had become just like the city. They were too proud to see their own faults. They were too proud to ask for help, even when they needed it. And so then we get into verse 18, where... He's, he said all this to them, and then he tells them to, to buy things from him. He's like, hey, I need you to buy gold for me and white garments and a salve for your eyes. I need you to buy these things for me. And this is a direct reference to um, the Gospel of John, where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. Most of you guys probably know this story. But he meets this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he asks her for a drink. And the Samaritan woman is like, I, why are you talking to me like you're a Jew and I'm a woman? Why, why are we even having this conversation right now? And Jesus, obviously using this opportunity, in verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
In other words, Jesus was saying to her, hey, this water right here is temporary. This water that I want is temporary, but I can give you something that lasts forever. Now he's telling the Laodiceans, he's like, guys, this gold is temporary. Your clothes are temporary. Your body in its current state is temporary. All of this is temporary, but what I can give you lasts forever. But see, here's the most important thing for us to grasp from this. So he's already, he's saying, hey, hey, I can give you eternal life. I can give you something that never dies. I can give you something that doesn't end. But the important part here is that he, he says, hey, I need you guys to buy it from me. After he just got done talking about how poor they are and how pitiful they are and how they don't actually have anything. What we need to understand is that Jesus knows this. He's asking them to buy something that they can't afford. Asking them to buy something they can never buy on their own. In fact, it would only be possible if he offered it to them for free. See, Jesus is presenting the church at Laodicea with the gospel. He's like, I know your works. I know who you are. You don't know me, but you can know me. I can give you something that lasts forever. And here's the thing, you can't pay for it because no matter how much you give me, it's never going to be enough, but I can offer it to you for free. And I mean, this is, let's just be clear. This is how you know things are bad at your church. When Jesus comes and says, the only thing that can save your church now is the gospel. But the bottom line, this is, he comes to them and he's like, guys, this is what you need. This is what will fix you. And verses 19 to 20 continue this whole thing. Jesus is explaining to them, essentially, that the life of a Christ follower is not an easy life. He's like, your money is not going to help you here. Your riches are not going to help you. He's not offering them a life of gold and jewels and fame and comfort. He's asking them to give all of that up to come under his discipline and his, re- his reproving and his rebuking, but ultimately to come under his love. See, he's standing at the door knocking, offering this repentance to the Laodiceans, offering this love to them, this love that can only be found in him. It's like when Amazon delivers a package to you and you're like, oh, I'm so excited. I just got the notification. My package is here. But it doesn't do you any good if it's still outside your door. You can't use it if you don't open the door and bring it in. That's exactly what Jesus is saying to him. He's like, guys, I, I'm here. You, you can have this but you have to open the door. But now, let's make this clear, because he may be standing at the door and knocking. The gospel is offered freely to all the Laodiceans, but only those who hear him knocking and open the door can reap the benefits of what he's offering. Okay, so look, I, I hate that this verse is so often taken out of context for us. Like, we, we hear this verse, it's, it's written on tracks, it's, you know, so many people use it in gospel presentations, and it's so taken out of context, and I hate that because it cheapens the meaning of it. Like, the gospel is not that Jesus is standing at the door of our hearts knocking and hoping that we're going to let him in. The gospel was already laid out for us in these verses before. See, the gospel is that though we could never pay the price for our sins and deserved nothing from God, he loved us enough to pay that price for us anyways and to offer it to us. Jesus is not a salesman waiting at the door hoping that someone is going to answer. He's the master of the house knowing that his servants are waiting for the knock and will answer when they hear it. This is Jesus coming to him and he's like, he's like, I can offer you this repentance and this love and this grace and all of this stuff, but you're not going to receive it because you're not following me. You don't know me. And then the last three verses continue this trend to showing us that this message is for all churches and all Christians everywhere. See, if we can learn anything from this letter is that there are no lukewarm Christians. This is a gospel presentation to people who do not know Christ. However, it's also a reminder of the immense 
love that God has for us. And that he would not only save us, but continue to sustain us, continue to push us towards sanctification. The reproof and correction that often hurts us is a reminder of his deep love for us. And that he doesn't let us stray from the path, that he keeps us chasing after him. And ultimately, we see here that all of this is just, it's an indictment for those who are lukewarm, who have left Christ, who are following after a different gospel, who are following after a different God. But more than anything, this is the reminder for us that this could easily be any of us, and we cannot let that happen to us. Just like the Church of Sardis, we have to stay vigilant. Just like the Church of Philadelphia, we have to be faithful to the end. So when it comes to churches like Laodicea, we need to understand that they had were already far beyond the point of, hey, you can turn this ship around. At this point, it was repent or die. But for us, that's not the option that we're given. We're told, hey, you have this. Come and enjoy. Come and sit in this love. Come and sit in this grace. Come and sit in this mercy. It's here before you. And then take it to other people and teach them about it as well. There's a quote that I love by R.C. Sproul, and I'll end with this. It says, God doesn't want me to play religion. He doesn't want me to dabble in church. He wants me, body and soul. God doesn't want me to play with religion. He doesn't want me to dabble in church. He wants me, body and soul. I think at times when we're tempted to not take our lives with Christ seriously, it's, that, it's those moments when we should turn back and look at churches like Laodicea and say, that's the life that could have happened to us. That's, that's, that could have been any of us. So let's appreciate the gospel that we have been given and then use it to advance his love and his message and his grace to others around us, to the nations. So let's pray. God, you are good and righteous and holy. I thank you so much that we can come here together, that we can open your word, that we can learn from it. God, also that we can spend time here in community, fellowshipping together. God, I thank you for how much you love us and how good you are to us, even though we don't deserve it. And God, I pray that as we continue in our time together, as we move into the discussion, I pray that you would bless this time that we have together. Help us to glorify you with everything that we're doing, with our actions and our thoughts and our words. And help us to learn more about what it means to follow you more deeply. And I pray all of this in the precious name of Christ. Amen.